Hi, everybody. This is Dr. Eric Corum, founder of AIM7. Welcome back to The Blueprint, where we distill cutting-edge science, leadership, and life skills into simple tactics optimized for your busy lifestyle and goals. Today's episode is an absolute treat as we hear from Matthew Barnes, founder of Proteus Digital Lab. As an engineer turned marketing guru and just really all around amazing person, Matthew leans on his 10 years of experience as a parkour athlete to help others around him build strength, endurance, physical and mental flexibility, as well as improve their mental focus and problem solving skills. I met Matthew in a very interesting way in Mexico at a mastermind event, and I found him to be a brilliant problem solver. And literally at dinner that night, I asked him to come on a show and share his thoughts on how parkour and his engineering background helps him solve problems. You're going to get a ton of value out of this, and he's going to be one of those folks that I just kind of bring on in a reoccurring fashion to talk about very interesting topics. So I'm really excited for you to get to know him. But before we get started today, I want to make you aware of a unique resource available to you. If you're looking for information and resources on how to improve your physical and mental performance, then sign up for my newsletter adaptation. And every Friday, I'm going to email you cutting edge science and tools that you can use now to improve the way you look, feel and perform. So sign up now by clicking the link in the show notes. Now to my conversation with Matthew. So let's lean in and learn from the best. Matthew, I don't know if the title of most interesting man in the world has been given out yet, but you would definitely make the list to me. Uh, We met in Cabo. That's another story. Before we get to the meat of this thing, let's talk about your background in engineering and how that led to parkour. Uh, Yeah, I don't like leaving anything on the table. That's for sure. Uh, And and someone asked me the other day, they're like, hey, what should I do if I don't know what I'm going to do with my life? I was like, I could get an engineering degree. And they're like, why an engineering degree? And I was like, well, you just become a weaponized problem solver. I didn't know what I was exactly what I wanted to do. And someone said, hey, you might be good at engineering. And I said, cool. So I went to university for that. And there, right, it's like we call it the engineering method, right? Like, what are your givens? What are your assumptions? Like, what's the flow? And it annoys the heck out of you when you're a student. But then you start to, it starts to shape the way that you think, right? It starts to think, uh, shape the way that you solve problems and, and view the world, right? And so it sort of had a, an, an unintentional effect of, I started seeing things that I wanted to do, things that I wanted to achieve in the parkour space, which I can talk about in a second, and in other aspects of life, which is why I eventually left engineering, um, but it made me realize that I could just break basically anything down into like a series of steps and figure out how to move generally in that direction, whether it's a first or second or third order intention. And so what really drew me to parkour is that uh, it looks like a very physical sport. It's actually a mental sport with a physical manifestation. So one of the things I always say all the time, right, is if I drew a circle of this is everything I'm physically capable of, right? A, a big circle. And then a smaller circle inside of that, much, much smaller, is everything I'm mentally capable of uh, in, in training parkour, right? Something that I can scare myself with something that is physically, technically very easy. And that's the right place to train in parkour. It's not dangerous if you're doing something well within your physical capabilities that challenges you mentally and you are constantly training your body to, and mind to try to expand that mental circle out toward the physical circle and then it manifests itself into lots of lots and lots of really interesting things like running up walls and doing backflips and all sorts of stuff like that but yeah i I see the things as as one and the same it's it's sort of like a mastery of one's mind and and an an appeal to logic i think is how i approach it when you and i were talking previously you had mentioned you do some parkour with kids correct and then you help them overcome fears and explain that process i thought that was fascinating 
Yeah. So I naturally fell into like the, the first business I had was uh, I, I was I was teaching parkour. We we rented a gymnastics facility and we were doing that and, and it was fun. We would get people in and after a while, I'd take some of these students outside to, to teach them, to, to show them the real thing. Right. And so I went to Purdue University. There's a staircase near the library where the gap for the width of the staircase is, I don't know, maybe five feet or something like that. It's not a very wide staircase. And it has a concrete ledge that goes around the top of it and actually goes underground. It goes it goes to the bottom of the basement floor. And I would have someone stand on that ledge and jump across the gap at the top where the, the drop is like six inches. And as soon as I'd get them up onto that drop, they'd go, oh, no, 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 I'm not going down there and jumping over the, the one-story drop there. And I was like, I'm not asking you to jump over the one-story drop just asking you to jump over a six inch gap. Right. And so they've got to take all of the stuff, all that uncertainty, all that fear. Right. That is maybe uh, 10 minutes from now, drop it on the floor and, and forget it and just focus on the problem at hand until it becomes very easy. In reality, they, everybody's taller than five feet and can fall across the gap. Uh, it's not actually physically challenging at all. I, I mean, my legs are long enough. I can almost walk across it. But <laughs> getting someone to do that and then incrementally move one step to their left. And then one step to their left again and again until they're doing it over the, the large gap where the physical risk here is, is very low by comparison. I mean, how many times do you look at your phone and walk downstairs? And if you were to fall down that flight, you'd injure yourself terribly. But we, we take the risk because it's easy. Right. And so that sort of like mental challenge, I think, is a good example of, of kind of how we would push them and try to achieve that mental toughness. I think this can be applied to a lot of areas of our life. This thought it's, process it's, 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 it's really stress applied to a lot of mine. Yeah. <laughs> You, to me, are a really good problem solver. That's what I was like when I first met you. I was like, oh, my gosh, this guy's I bet he's amazing at ripping apart problems. And then when you started talking about this, how to get kids to do parkour, I was like, this is so interesting. What is it that you learned from engineering that you could now apply to your everyday problem solving that people could take away? Like you talked about first, second, third order effects. Like, what is that? Like some people may not even know what that is. Yeah. Yeah. I'm at a point in my life where I'm thinking a lot about like life trajectory, right. In terms of what one wants to achieve. And I think that too often we get sort of like obsessed about figuring out exactly what we want to do. Right. Or we figure out exactly what we want to achieve or how we want to achieve it. And instead, right. If you, if you sort of break down a problem, like a, like a big thing, like uh, say you want to, uh, create a business or something like this, right? You don't know exactly what it is, but you know, it's the direction you want to move. Like me, I realized very early on that I'm basically unemployable. Um, so I better start my own business, but I don't know exactly what that, what that should be, but I know what things are not that right. And so in, in terms of, of investing one's time and, and breaking things down, I think, is this moving me closer to the direction of solving the problem or is this moving away? Very few things are neutral. Maybe sleeping is probably actually positive. I was going to say it's neutral. It's actually positive. But, you know, as, as I'm thinking about about that, I was putting time into trying to hone my skills like towards towards things that I cared about. And it ended up drawing me into e-commerce. And then I figured out, OK, well, you know, I've got all the statistics knowledge. How can I apply that right to get to get better at this sort of thing? So I was never actually intentionally trying to start. I, I, I now run an agency that does consulting with CEOs of direct consumer e-commerce brands. And we do analytics and conversion optimization. It's heavy in statistics and development. Looks a far cry from structural engineering, which is what I got my degree in. But mentally, it's the exact same problem for me. Right. And so I think the, the application here is uh, breaking down a problem or a trajectory into its component parts and then figuring out what are the things I have to work with? What are the assumptions that I am making? And then your daily goal or, or the, the things that you commit yourself to are, are as simple as 
well, is this moving me closer towards the thing that this is like, or is it moving me further away? And eventually, when I say second order, right, or third order, it's not, I'm not exactly working towards, oh, I'm going to start this business uh, where I have an agency and I consult or whatever. But the things are falling forward, right, into the direction of this thing. And then things that you didn't even anticipate, you're, when the opportunities arise, you're ready for them without intentionally training for them. I love this. Are there any heuristics you apply to problem sets in general? I know like you basically talked about reverse engineering or breaking something down. We did the same thing in football or any sport. You'll love this one and you'll laugh at the same time. In sports, it was like, oh, Eric, you're a football guy. You're not going to understand tennis. And I'm like, it's a problem. I can understand it. Does it have a bioenergetic and biodynamic component? Of course I can. You know, and they're like, you don't know the nuance. I'm like, that's the whole point is like there's these underlying tenets. And so I've trained basketball players, football Mm -hmm. players, golf. Of course, the more time you spend with the sport, then you can start filling in the gaps of we had the components to high performance were physical, physical, psychological, technical, tactical. Right. And then sometimes we tap on this thing called intellectual because it's a little bit different. But all of them had the same thing. Now, you, mm-hmm. you spend more time with golfers, you're going to understand more about the tactics of the game. But you can look at a swing and understand swing mechanics through biomechanics. Yeah. Are there heuristics you apply to problems that you're solving that we could use in our daily life? Absolutely. So one of the things that I've been rolling around in my mind uh, a lot, which maybe maybe at some point I will more, more, more formally write something out. But You want to do I, a guest blog on my uh, adaptation newsletter? Yeah, all right. You, all right. You, you, you can write it up there. All right, you twist my arm. <laughs> I always think about functional solutions versus object-oriented solutions, which I should probably take like two seconds to break that down. So Please. if I am going to solve a problem, one approach to solving the problem, to try to define the problem or find a specific solution that just solves the problem, right? Um, you're very focused on the object. The other is a functional solution, which more holistically solves the the underlying issue uh, and oftentimes engineers out failure. Um, it makes it impossible to fail. So like a, a example of this, right, is a, a super engineering example is, is like the way that we build like uh, nuclear power plants, right? So previously old design was, hey, we have this object oriented solution, which is it won't melt down so long as all of these criteria remain true. Then the, the more maturated version that we, we got to, which is a functional solution is, Oh, the thing will literally prevent itself from men- melting down if this happens, right? We've we've engineered out the problem. The, the it will cool itself off with water or whatever the thing is, right? So, like for example, in in my life, right when I started my business, I'll go back to the parkour business, like the nascent stages of me trying to figure out how to do this. The object-oriented way to do it would be to say, okay. We're going to sign up these students. They're going to pay every time they come in. And then I'm going to pay all of my instructors, right, some some hourly rate. And I've got to sort of guess at this ratio because I've got insurance to pay for. I've got rent to pay for. I've got uh, instructors to pay. And then I've got students that have to come in and collect. And so long as the correct number of students come in and my instructors like work like a certain number of hours, then the business will be solvent, right? Like I'll, I'll, I'll make a profit. So instead I was like, oh, that's a... That's a highly contingent solution. <laughs> What's the functional way that I could do this, that I could solve this, right? So I went to the, the gymnastics gym owner and I said, hey, you're not using the space during this time. And I'm going to bring some kids in here and train them. If I bring in twice as many kids, I'm going to do twice as much wear and tear on the, on the equipment. Would it be okay if I paid you rent equivalent to the number of students that I have in the gym in a given month? Mm-hmm. And he was like, 
you know what? Fine. Like that makes sense to me. Right. Yeah. Like it's, it's a hard, a hard thing. And then, and then he was incentivized to send more students to my class, to refer them to me because so he, he gets paid more money. More. Yes. So then I went to my instructors and I said, Hey, Hey guys, when the students pay, you're going to get a percentage of it. That that's the way we're going to do this. You're going to be part partners with me in this, like, uh, right. So you get this percentage of when the students pay. So now they're making sure they're collecting the revenue from the students. <laughs> they're, <laughs> they're working they're, harder to make sure they're happy. They're working harder to make sure the kids don't churn. Right. Yeah. Uh, and then they're getting anything. And then my insurance was per head of student as well. So I had this business model set up where all the incentives were aligned, where the gym owner was incentivized to send me students and to and to, to make sure that we had a good space. The instructors were incentivized to make sure that they were doing a good job, encouraging kids to come and making sure that they collected the money. And I was paying a percentage off right to each one of those. And it was impossible for me to lose money as a business owner because I could only paid out what I collected uh, as a percentage. And this was a very successful model for me and removed a lot of stress. But that was the functional solution to the problem that engineered out failure. I love this. This is why I wanted to have you on the show, because people are probably like, Eric's bringing on an e-commerce de- direct to sales e-commerce guy. What does this have? One of the core value propositions of our show or the core value proposition is this cutting edge science, leadership and life skills. Yes. One of the best skills you can develop in life is decision making because you are a sum of your decision, the decisions that you make, whether in business or your personal life. And yeah. So what about like one of the things I notice is you, you do care about your family. That's true. And you prioritize your time so that you Mm -hmm. can be with them. I want to ask for some consulting right here, live on the show. I'm an entrepreneur, early stage. We just started revenue generating. Things are going good, but there's this pressure to always work. And then there's this pressure inside of me that like, I don't want to miss the moments. Yes. And I want to be a present father. How do you, how do you hold those two in your head and then make the right decision? Yeah, man. So again, you find a functional solution for your time that forces you to to be present or or forces a containment on the time that you are allowed to to work. So for me, I run this I run this agency. We meet with clients. Uh, Client meetings are on Wednesday. And when I sign a new client and we have the initial discussion, uh, a non-negotiable term is that the client meetings are on Wednesday. And they say, what about Tuesday? And I say, Tuesday is not Wednesday. I will turn you down as a client if you can't meet on Wednesday. And even if it's like, hey, I can't meet next Wednesday, everybody's got an opening a month from now, uh, right? And so we find a slot for Wednesday. And there's a number of reasons for that. It's great for business because meetings are the least productive thing that you could possibly imagine doing, uh, which I could do a whole talk on that. But what it means is that my calendar on Wednesday from like, I don't know, 9 or 10 a.m. until like 4 or 5 p.m., it's meetings the entire time. There is no break. It is just a, a gauntlet of meetings. And that is the day that I am doing the meetings. I am not doing the meetings the other days. There are no meetings the other days, but I do take the kids to whatever, uh, swim, gymnastics. I'm learning violin with my seven-year-old. I just go to her lessons and then I practice also, which is another funny story, but uh, protecting time. So here's the thing, right? Like I am now forced with the way that I kind of structure the business and the times that working is happening or meeting is happening or whatever is I have to run a more efficient business to make it fit within the constraints that I have given it because otherwise you will just expand the work time to fill the available time. Uh, and that's how you end up robbing yourself, right? You, you end up making these little compromises or whatever. And so you want to put something in place that has a forcing function that forces you to recalibrate. Another thing that I'll do is if I don't get the work done legitimately, right, during during the time that I I'm supposed to get the work done and I am going to 
Uh, the other time is allotted for spending time with with kids or family or going taking them rock climbing or whatever the thing is. I'll start working at 8 p.m. when they go to bed and I'll work until the work is done. Uh, and if that takes me till 4.30 in the morning because I did a poor job of prioritizing my time or being efficient or delegating or whatever, the forcing function is I sleep less. You better believe that when the forcing function is I sleep less, I'm going to figure that out really darn quick, right? Because I'm putting pain back on myself and shouldering that in a way that that, that forces me to, to, to recalibrate. So uh, I think it's time protection and I think it's putting uh, functional solutions in place that force you to recalibrate so you pay the price instead of uh, your family. All right. If people are listening to this, they're like, I love this guy. <laughs> How can they find you? How can they follow you? If for some reason somebody out here has a direct-to-consumer brand, you need to book him. You can tell he's a good problem solver. <laughs> Do you put any of your thoughts anywhere? I know, right? You are not the first person that's asked me this question. And here's the thing, right? So I have to decide which buckets of, of time are allowed. I don't have social media. Uh, I don't do it. Good for you. Because it, you know, Insta sad or sad book is the, is the, what I, what I call it when we're, we're joking. Um, it's, it's designed to make you feel less than, um, whatever positive things you get out of it, you come back because the negatives are worse. So not something that I have in my life in particular, I make, I may kick back up the old Twitter at some point to let, let people message me. Otherwise, even if you go to my website or my agency, proteusdigitallab.com, it says by referral only, and it has no contact information on it. So you can contact Eric and Eric will put you in touch with me. <laughs> All right. How <laughs> about this? I'm going to have a standing invite. Whenever you feel like you have something you're ready to talk about, okay, you can come on the blueprint. Um, all right, it's a date, and then I'll, and I'll consolidate it all, and then make it's them a forcing function. You've got 20 minutes to get it out. I love it. There you go, and I love this. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm so glad to introduce you as kind of a character in the broader story of the blueprint <laughs> that I, I want to have back on to grace us with your intellect, your wit, and your just charm. So thank you so much. Well, thanks, man. I'm looking forward to the next opportunity for, for us to chat. Thanks again for listening to the Blueprint Podcast. And if you enjoyed today's show, if you found it useful, take a picture of it, share it with a friend so that they can hear this amazing message. We want to bring more people into the community so we can have a bigger impact. And you are a big part of that. So do something. Take a picture, share it with somebody, bring somebody along for the ride. Thanks again for listening. And I'll catch you on the next episode.